It's our last Friday mailbag of the summer, and today I'll explain why I'm more optimistic about this Irish team than I've been in quite some time. That's next. You are Locked On Irish, your daily podcast on the Notre Dame Fighting Irish. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's going on and welcome to Locked On Irish. Today is Friday, August 18th, so happy Friday. And thanks for making this your first listen of the day. You can watch this episode as well as every other episode on YouTube or listen wherever you get your podcasts. And I'm Tyler Wojak. I'm the host. I graduated from Notre Dame in 2018 and have been covering college football as a producer ever since. I started at ESPN, but I've been with Fox Sports since the fall of 2021. We've got our last Friday mailbag of the summer today. It's bittersweet, I know. Um, I'm still going to incorporate mailbag episodes into the fall schedule, but I'm still kind of figuring that out, how often I'm going to do the mailbags, which day of the week I'm going to do them, because it's obviously going to be a little bit different when we have real live games to talk about. But once I know, I will let you know as well. Thanks to everyone who sent in their questions this week. I always appreciate it. And our first question comes from at Danny underscore Fellmeyer. Where does this team rank in your preseason optimism compared to past Notre Dame teams? I'm very optimistic about this Notre Dame team, and Sam Hartman is a big reason why. Notre Dame hasn't had certainty at the quarterback position like this uh, really since Ian Book was around, because even though uh, Jack Cohn, when he came to Notre Dame, you knew that he was going to be the starting quarterback, I didn't really have that high of expectations for him specifically. I thought he'd be good. I thought he'd be good enough to do you know, everything that Notre Dame wanted to do that season. And I think that by the end of the year, he was really clicking uh, and he exceeded my expectations to that extent. But um, I didn't really look at him as like a guy who could take Notre Dame to a national championship. And I think that Sam Hartman um, has the capability to make plays in big games and get Notre Dame to those spots. But he's going to need some help, obviously, with the skill players and the team around him. But I feel really good about him and what he's going to be able to bring to the offense because I personally think he's the best quarterback Notre Dame has had since Clawson. I love Ian Book, but as a pure passer, Sam Hartman is one of the most accomplished quarterbacks in the history of college football. So him alone is a big reason why the fact that this is Marcus Freeman's second year as a head coach and not his first is certainly uh, makes me a lot more optimistic as well. But then really on offense, it comes down to the fact that Notre Dame should be able to run the ball against anyone. And this has been a component of literally every great Notre Dame team in my lifetime and probably beyond that as well. When you think of all the great Notre Dame teams, you think of really great offensive lines and teams who are able to run at will against their opponents. I don't know if Notre Dame is going to be able to run at will against Clemson uh, or Ohio State, but they should be able to run the ball well enough. It's not going to be a situation like Georgia in 2019 when Notre Dame just didn't even try to run the ball because they didn't have a good enough running back or running game at the time in order to do that. That is not going to be the case this year with Notre Dame. I think they should be able to run the ball with everyone and that should keep them in the games and hopefully open up more opportunities for Sam Hartman to really push the ball deep and put more points on the board for that offense. Defensively, it's sort of like the inverse of all the great Notre Dame teams, at least in my lifetime, where the front seven you knew was going to be great, and then the secondary you're kind of just hoping for the best there. Now, this secondary is really, really good. At least the cornerbacks are for sure. Cam Hart and Benjamin Morrison are going to be able to go toe-to-toe with pretty much every single receiver that Notre Dame faces this season, with the exception of maybe Marvin Harrison Jr., who I think is arguably the most talented player in college football, and then Emeka Igbuka, the other receiver to go along with him at Ohio State. That's going to be a really tough matchup for Notre Dame's cornerbacks. But other than that, I think Notre Dame is going to be in a really good uh, good spot. Um, even going up against USC, they've got some really talented playmakers as well. But I feel like they at least will give you a chance. Sure, they're going to lose a couple reps, but that's going to happen. They're not going to be just picked on at will like Notre Dame was in that uh 
college football playoff semifinal game once Dante Vaughn came in. So uh, I feel good about the corners. Linebackers, ton of experience. I think they're going to be pretty good as well. Defensive line, I do have some concerns. I have some concerns about the wide receivers as well. But when I say concerns, I think they're going to be good. But Notre Dame needs them to be really, really good in order to make the college football playoff. So we're just going to have to wait and see with them. But I'm hopeful that they'll be able to develop uh, and get better as the year goes on. And then hopefully by the end of the year, Notre Dame is really clicking on all cylinders. And then we're talking about a team who can make the playoff. Now, compared to the last few seasons, uh, last year, I was certainly excited about the team and, and Marcus Freeman's first year, but the fact that it was Marcus Freeman's first year made me a little cautious about my expectations, and I also looked at that Ohio State game as a loss all offseason long. So it was kind of weird going into a season knowing that you're more likely than not going to start 0-1, and that's what ended up happening. So I was excited, but that was a little weird dynamic. I don't feel that way this year at all. I feel like Norm's first real game where you're like, they might lose this one, uh, is going to be Ohio State. Yes, NC State poses some problems, but I I feel like Notre Dame is certainly capable of beating Ohio State this year. So I'm not chalking it up as an automatic loss in September quite the way or quite the same way I was last year. 2021, I picked Notre Dame to go 11 and one in the preseason with that loss coming to Cincinnati, and I was dead on. So I was very excited about that year. But part of the reason that I had them going 11 and one was because of the schedule that season. It was pretty meh, and it ended up being that way. Um, and I also knew Jack Cohn had a ceiling, sort of like what I just mentioned there. So I was certainly excited. I knew that Notre Dame was going to win a bunch of games, but I didn't go into that uh, season thinking that they were going to win the national championship or anything like that. 2020, I didn't think there was going to be a season. So I didn't really have time to get excited, which is pretty unfortunate because you look back and Notre Dame had all the pieces, clearly, to make a run to the college football playoff. But I had sort of accepted the fact that Notre Dame and college football wasn't going to be happening in 2020 because that's how things looked in the summer. And then once everything started to change and everyone was like, all right, actually, we are going to try to play college football this year. I was sort of just like, let's wait and see. Let's hope that they can play one week. And, you know, every week you're just kind of holding your breath to make and hoping that they're able to play the games. And, and to Notre Dame's credit, they handled the COVID thing really well. Uh, and they were able to play every game except the one, uh, the Duke's Mayo Classic, RIP. Um, so I really didn't have a chance to get as excited as I wish I could have been that year. 2019 felt good coming off the college football playoff. Um, felt really good about Ian Book, but then there was that Georgia game that just looked so daunting a few weeks into the season that I kind of chucked that one up as a loss as well. So I didn't really think that that team was going to be capable of winning the national championship. But in 2018, before that season, I was telling anybody who would listen that that team was going to go to the playoff uh, and Brian Kelly would prove his chops as a college football coach. And uh, that ended up proving to be accurate. Notre Dame went undefeated in the regular season that year, despite some scares against Ball State and uh, Vanderbilt very early on in the season. But I knew that defense was going to be great. I felt really good about that and the rest of the team as well. So I would say I don't know if I'm as optimistic now as I was with that 2018 team, but it's really not that far off. And that team ended up being really good. So that kind of tells you how optimistic I am about this team. I think they're really good. I think they're really talented, um, certainly talented enough to, to make a run at the college football playoff. And we'll just kind of see what happens with the schedule because Notre Dame has a really difficult task ahead of them with these 12 games and particularly that four-game stretch going up against Ohio State, Duke, Louisville, and then USC. But I'm feeling good right now. All right, next question from at Drew Bennon 77. Um, if Notre Dame and Ohio State are both undefeated and playing well when they meet in September, will the atmosphere at Notre Dame Stadium rival the 2005 USC game? That game is still the loudest I've ever heard the stadium. 
Um, I wasn't at that game, but literally everyone I know who was at that game says the exact same thing as you, Drew. Apparently that atmosphere was second to none. And what's kind of crazy looking back is Notre Dame already had a loss going into that game. It wasn't like they were undefeated, but that kind of shows you just how down everyone was about the program at the time. And then they, just the fact that they were playing in a really big game again was uh, something to get really excited about, plus the fact that it was USC, Notre Dame's arch rival. So I think that also played a part in that as well. And yeah, I, th- I think the atmosphere could rival that this year. Um, I I don't think USC or I don't think Ohio State now is quite at the level that USC was back then. I mean, they were just a juggernaut back then with Matt Leinart and Reggie Bush and all those guys. So it's a little bit different now because Ohio State isn't at that level. But then again, Notre Dame is in a much better place now uh, as well. And I, I just have a much different outlook on this game than I did last year's matchup against the Buckeyes. So I think that that feeling that optimism is that optimism is going to be carried through the rest of the stadium. And there's definitely going to be some Ohio State fans in the crowd. As much as Notre Dame might try to um, prevent them from getting into that game, there's going to be a lot of them there, and we know that they bring the juice. So it's going to be a big, big game. I think the atmosphere is going to be crazy. I'm going to be at that game, and I, I am so, so excited. It's going to be the first home game I've been to since that Toledo game in 2021, and I need to get that stain off me, honestly. I need another more recent memory at Notre Dame Stadium that is a lot more happy uh, than that one was. Um, a lot of atmospheres I can recall uh, of the games I went to. That 2018 Michigan game was really something. Season opener, just the fact that it was Michigan, a lot of hype going into that season, and Notre Dame uh, played so well in the first half, and then they held on in the second half to win. That 2017 game against USC is still the most fun I've ever had at Notre Dame Stadium. It was my senior year, and Notre Dame just beat the hell out of USC. So that was unbelievable. But considering how dominant Notre Dame was in that matchup, the atmosphere pregame was awesome, but then Notre Dame just started putting it on him. So it wasn't like, you know, big third down, late in the game type energy that I think this Notre Dame-Ohio State game is going to have. So I don't know if anything is going to touch that 2005 USC game just because of what USC was at the time. To be honest with you, I think if fans were allowed in that game uh, in 2020 against Clemson, I think that game, the atmosphere would have been a little bit better than this one against Ohio State, just given the stakes of that game happening in November. uh, Clemson was one, Notre Dame was three, and that game was just so, so big. Uh, in college football that season. It's, and it's a shame that we didn't have a sellout crowd there at Notre Dame Stadium to celebrate that one. But all right, here's a quick message from our sponsors. But when we come back, the Notre Dame fan base is going to be put under the microscope. Do we need to change? That's coming up right after this. This episode is brought to you by eBay Motors. For a championship team, it's all about making sure every player is a perfect fit. It's the same when it comes to your vehicle. Every part needs to fit just right. So the next time you need parts and accessories, head to eBay Motors. With eBay Guaranteed Fit, you can be sure every part you need fits right the first time around. Just add your ride to My Garage and look for the green check to know the part will fit or your money back. Because just like in sports, confidence is the name of the game when you shop on eBay Motors. And with over 122 million parts to choose from, you'll be back in the game in no time. After all, it's easy to bring home a win when the right parts are guaranteed. Get the right parts, the right fit, and the right prices on ebaymotors.com. Let's ride. eBay guaranteed fit, only available to U.S. customers, eligible items only, exclusion supply. Thanks again for making Locked On Irish your first listen of the day. For the everyday listeners out there, be sure to tune in on Monday of next week because Luke Smith and I are going to do our preseason award show. It's going to be a lot of fun and uh, you won't want to miss it. All right, let's get back to the questions here. Uh, This next one comes from at Evan Slatt who asks, how do you think our fans stack up against fans from quote-unquote real football schools such as the SEC, Ohio State, and Clemson? 
What needs to change? Do we need to change? It seems like Notre Dame just wants to live in the past instead of adapting to the ever-changing landscape of college football. Very interesting question here from at Evan Slat. Um, so we're, we're essentially comparing Notre Dame fans to programs that are football factories. I don't know if Clemson necessarily fits into that football factory mold, but I, I understand why you included them. So whenever you're comparing the Notre Dame fan base or you're criticizing the Notre Dame fan base, and I'm certainly guilty of this as well, it's actually pretty difficult to do because there are so many different factions within the fan base uh, that make it difficult to answer. And I understand that this kind of applies to literally every fan base, but it does feel like there are more different factions at Notre Dame than any other school because you've got the people who went to Notre Dame, the alumni, and then you've got the Subway alumni who are also very proud and understand the school. And then there's just so many different groups within those two that it's it's kind of hard to decipher who you're even talking about when you're making the when you're talking about uh, who's doing what? So let's just go over a few of them that are sort of you know pretty prominent. Uh, there's obviously the the gold seat fans who are typically rich, wealthy alumni who go to the games just to bitch about how it's not like it used to be. It's not like the good old days when they pass it less than five times a game and Notre Dame was winning pretty much every game, but they were winning like nine to nothing. And then then you've got the fans who just cannot comprehend or just refuse to understand why Notre Dame doesn't commit to being a football factory and leave the academics piece to the side. Then you've got like the complete opposite of those fans who are usually older alums who don't care about the wins and losses nearly as much as they care about the graduation rate and the character of the student athletes who are out there representing Notre Dame. And then I would consider myself in a group of young alums who, or they don't even have to be alums. They're just younger fans who desperately want Notre Dame to achieve that level of, of success that they've done in the past and and compete for championships year in and year out. But, you know, we also understand how much the sport has changed and how, frankly, Notre Dame is not as well positioned to win at that level as consistently because of those changes. I'm not saying that Notre Dame can't compete at a championship level. I definitely think they can. But doing it year in and year out in the modern era is very difficult, and it's why Notre Dame has not been able to do it. So those are just a few. You know what I mean? You you probably know different fans who don't fall into one of these categories, and that's because there's a lot of different categories with Notre Dame fans. So I don't think the fan base as a whole is ever really going to change because it's, it's really just not possible. There's too many different types of fans. But if I could change anything, I would want the fans who feel a sense of entitlement to look at things a little bit differently. Like Notre Dame doesn't owe you anything. Uh, they don't They don't need to be... Uh, built in the vision that you uh, think it needs to be built in. I think that there's a lot of entitled fans out there, which, uh, frankly, it's disappointing. Um, I, I don't understand where that sense of entitlement comes from, but you probably know who I'm talking about. If you've ever been to a game, you've probably encountered a fan like this who's just just goes and they're usually the down-and-front people and they don't go there for the enjoyment and they don't cheer on the team as much. And uh, I think that bothers me. I think those people should definitely change. Um, but when you compare it to other fan bases, I would put it like this. I've been fortunate enough to go to a bunch of different schools in the South and the Big Ten and see Notre Dame play. I've seen a lot of games when Notre Dame wasn't involved through work, and I've met a lot of those different fans, and they're all great people. I would just say that the majority of Notre Dame fans um, have a little bit more going on in their lives than just the results of those games on Saturday. There's not as many people in the Notre Dame fan base who live and die 
with the wins and losses like fans of other schools. That's not to say that there aren't Notre Dame fans who don't live and die. Certainly, I was one of those uh, when I was a lot younger, but the results don't affect me nearly as much as they used to. Like, obviously, I get really excited when they win, and I get really disappointed when they lose, but uh, I'm able to, you know, get on with my life, and I internalize it all, and I'm upset about it, but, you know... I've got a job, I've got things I got to do and and things to take care of, so I'm able to get over it. Um, Whereas if you go to some other schools, some of these big-time programs, they literally, they look at it in a vacuum and it's all about winning and it's all about uh, winning championships and winning as much as you can. If that that goal is not achieved, then everything must burn. I don't really think that's the case at Notre Dame. Um, I think it's just the makeup of the fan base and it's different. And I'm not saying, you know, one's right or wrong necessarily. I think that part of why uh, these schools, these football factories are as successful as they are is because their fan base doesn't really care about anything else. They can, you know, turn a blind eye to bags of cash being handed out to high schoolers and all the messy stuff that goes on behind the scenes because they don't care about that stuff. All they care about is the wins and losses and doing whatever it takes to get that done. Certainly, there's some Notre Dame fans who are probably like that, but I would say that overall, that's that's just not the case. I think... Most fans of Notre Dame understand and appreciate the values of the school, and they understand that sometimes that gets in the way of winning football games. Not all fans, but I would say that's that's certainly a, a big majority, and um, I, I like that. I personally like that about Notre Dame. I like that when I was a student there and I would go to class, I would be sitting with some of the other athletes who are sharing some of the same experience as me. Certainly not all of them. Um, their experience at Notre Dame was much different than my experience as a student at Notre Dame, but we did still have some common ground. Whereas if you go to these football factories, um, if I'm a student at Ohio State, I'm never seeing Marvin Harrison Jr. walking around campus. It's just not a thing. They are in a different world than I am. And uh, that's one thing I like about Notre Dame, and I feel like there's a lot of other Notre Dame fans like me who appreciate that aspect of the school, even if we all understand that sometimes it can get in the way of having success success in the field. So I don't know if the fans are going to change. And the last point you asked about uh, living in the past, of course, Notre Dame fans live in the past because that is when they had the most success. And I think we as humans just have a tendency to always glorify the past anyway. I find myself doing it too. I kind of look back at times in my life when uh, things weren't so great and I'm like, oh, you know, I remember that and I I miss that. And then I think about how I was experiencing that moment in the time. And I was not having nearly as much fun or it was not as enjoyable uh, as I look back on it now. So I think that's just a human thing. But um, that's enough for my psychology discussion today. Let's get on to this next question here. At Lee Marie, 7724, why in the world would Notre Dame join a conference where they are muscled by the old powers that be in the Big Ten and SEC unless there is no other choice? Good point, Lee Marie. I agree with you. That's why Notre Dame is in such a good spot right now. They have all the leverage. They don't need to join a conference unless there is truly no other choice. I do think that eventually Notre Dame will have to join a conference because I think eventually college football is going to morph into two super conferences. It's going to be the Big Ten and it's going to be the SEC or whatever we end up calling it down the road. It's going to be basically the two big power conferences. And let's just be honest with ourselves here. It's going to be the Fox Conference versus the ESPN Conference. I You know, I miss the old college football. I I was sad to see some of these conferences like the Pac-12 basically disintegrate right in front of our our eyes. But the fact that Notre Dame is independent does give them more leverage. They are not in, you know, they're they're making their own decisions when they want to make them. And they're not subject to whatever the powers that be at the Big Ten or whatever conference they would hypothetically join ask them to do. Or maybe not. It's not even an ask. It's just a, hey, this is what's going to happen now with our conference and your schedule. So, 
eventually Notre Dame is probably going to have to join one. It's going to be a situation when they have no other choice. And um, I'm sure when, when that happens, when we have to cross that bridge, I'm certainly going to be a little bit disappointed about it for all the reasons I just mentioned. I just said we like to glorify the past a little bit. And I'm going to enjoy Notre Dame as an independent Uh, For as long as they're an independent, because right now I do enjoy it a lot. I like what Notre Dame is able to do. I like that they're able to go to Navy uh, or go to Dublin to play Navy in the season opener because they're independent and why not? And uh, I think it's great. And I think that you're on to something here, Lee Marie. They're not going to join a conference until they absolutely have to, because right now, while all these other teams and all these other conferences are in turbulent waters, Notre Dame is sitting there chilling like, hey, we're good right now. Everything's aligned in exactly how we need it to be in order to remain independent. Uh, and I do think that's going to be the case for at least the foreseeable future. All right, we've got a few more questions left in there. A lot of fun, so stick around. This first one comes from at Voluntary Joel 41 with a two-part question. What can slash should Notre Dame Brass do to get a Heisman campaign going for Sam Hartman and or Audric Esme? And what does that campaign look like? Second part, what's the worst college beer you've ever had? Examples, Ice House, PBR, and Old Style. Okay, I'll get to the Heisman question first. They should wait until after the USC game before we start talking any Heisman campaign. That would be my first suggestion because you don't want to get that going too early because then you set yourself up for embarrassment. Uh, So I think after the USC game, if everything is going well with the team and Sam Hartman or Audrey Kessime is lighting it up, that's a good time to start. Sam Hartman, you've got the name uh, Hartman for Heisman. you got some alliteration to work with there. He's a very marketable dude, so I think there's plenty of options there. I'm thinking back to Manti Teo. They did lays with him. All the students were wearing lays uh, during his last home game. Maybe with Sam Hartman, uh, all the students will make a necklace with their own rib, much like Sam Hartman is doing. Let's see how dedicated the students are. So yeah, that would be my first suggestion for Sam Hartman. Everyone just gets a nice little rib necklace and they rock it to one of the games. Um, for Audrey Kesame, uh, seven trucking doesn't have quite the same ring to it as 33 trucking does, but uh, maybe everyone just needs to get jacked for Esme. That's that's sort of the campaign there because Audric Esme is like a bodybuilder playing running back who's also very nimble with his feet. Um, but yeah, maybe that's the campaign. Everyone has to get jacked. All the Notre Dame fans got to be, uh, you got to be benching at least 185 to get in the stadium uh, and support Audric Esme in his, in his Heisman campaign. So those are my very serious uh, very real Heisman campaigns for Sam Hartman and Audrey Kesame. Uh, but I do think that if you are going to start one, let's let's wait until after that USC game. Okay, as for the beer, it's got to be Keystone Light. God, I hated Keystone Light. Keystone Light was so bad, it wasn't good even when it was super cold. And I have this theory that like I can tolerate pretty much any beer if it's cold enough, um, but not Keystone Light, man. That was just a different level. That was like drinking piss and... Uh, that was a popular beer among like the New York, Long Island kids. I feel like they'd bring Keystone Light to parties. And look, I know we're all balling on a budget here, but like, come on, just get Natty Light. That's so much better than this stuff. And uh, I also didn't like Bush Light. Probably going to catch some flack for that because I know my friends, some of them really liked it. It's just, I just never, never liked it. I'm a, I'm a Miller Light guy. I was a Miller Light guy back in college. I'd spend the extra, I don't know, dollar for a 12-pack of Miller Light. Uh, but I also like Natty Light as well. So I, I think maybe that'll be different if I had a Natty Light today. It's been years since I've had one, but that would be my pick. Uh, Keystone Light was just awful. Okay, next one. This one's Luke Smith. You're back in college playing high stakes beer pong at Legacy Village. Your next month's rent is on the line. Who are you choosing as your partner and why is it one of these two gentlemen? So if you're watching on YouTube, you can see the picture now on the screen. If you're listening to the podcast, I'll describe it for you. The picture that Luke is referencing here We've got 
Tom Zubikowski, our boy, on the left, he's wearing a black tank top, um, looking at the camera, mean mugging it a little bit, and then uh, to our right, his left, that would be Jeff Samarja, who is shirtless with like a snake shark tooth necklace holding a Miller High Life, looking away from the camera, and a surfer's hat. Uh, this is just a truly incredible picture, man. This is just unbelievable. I don't even know where Luke found it, so credit to him. As for beer pong, Montserrat is on the line. I feel like I got to take uh, Jeff Samarja because I think he did throw a couple passes at Notre Dame, and I feel like he had some quarterback in him, so maybe that could translate to the beer pong table. I'm not sure. Then again, if I had Tom Zubikowski on my team, I feel like anyone I'd be going up against would be so afraid of him that they'd just purposely tank. So I don't know. I would probably take Samarja, but you can't go wrong with either one of these studs. Um, man, this is just this is a great picture. So good question, Luke. All right, next up, what do we got here? Last one. From at Dimwitland. Shout out Dimwitland, man. This guy comments uh, on all the videos. Shout out to him. And he wants to know, what are you doing in Dublin for the game? Uh, so yes, I am going to Dublin uh, next Wednesday. I am very, very excited. My family has been trying to do a trip to Dublin for, this is our third attempt now. And uh, very excited to spend some time with them. See a bunch of my friends uh, who I went to Notre Dame with. Very, very pumped for this. And as for what I'm going to be doing for the game, I'm not entirely sure, but I can assure you that I will. it will involve pubs and drinking beer at said pubs with my family and friends, catching up, reminiscing, and talking about how excited we are about the Irish in 2023. It's going to be great. I'm really excited to meet more Notre Dame fans. And hey, if you see me out and you recognize me, come say hello. Uh, I'd love to meet people who listen and watch the show, especially those who listen day in and day out. So if you see me, Come say what's up. I'm probably going to be in a pub somewhere. And then after Dublin, I think we're going to do some sightseeing, uh, head to Galway, and, uh, yeah, check out what Ireland has to offer because there's a lot of Irish heritage in my family. Grandma, uh, shout out Grandma Woad. She's an Irish immigrant, came over to the States when she was in high school. And, uh, yeah, I have a very Irish family, and I'm very, very excited to go back to the homeland. All right, that is a wrap for this episode, and that's another week of Locked On Irish in the Books. Thanks again for making Locked On Irish your first listen of the day. Before you get a head start on your weekend, make sure that you've subscribed to the YouTube channel or wherever you're listening to the podcast, and follow the show on Twitter at Locked On Irish, on Instagram at Locked On Irish Pod. I don't know what that noise is. I'm sorry. I'm not going to be able to leave that out. That's a bug. Anyway, let's close it out. Um, Instagram is at Locked On Irish Pod. My personal Twitter account is at Tyler, W-O-J-C-I-A-K. Enjoy the weekend, everybody. I will be back with a new show on Monday of next week with Luke Smith. And by that point, it will officially be game week. I can't wait. I'll see you then.